Well, church, this Sunday uh, we are celebrating one of the most miraculous, mysterious, and momentous moments in all of human history when the Spirit of God descended upon His church at Pentecost. And as we heard uh, just a few moments ago in our reading from Acts chapter 2, everyone who witnessed this event was either uh, amazed or perplexed at what they experienced on that day. Uh, According to the Scriptures, out of all of the people uh, who were present on that day of Pentecost, they all experienced... They all uh, responded in, in either one or two days, two ways. They either asked questions or they mocked. There was no one who was not affected. They all were affected one way or another, and they either asked questions or they mocked. Some of those who witnessed the Pentecost event were amazed at what they were seeing and hearing. And, and in a desire to understand what it was that they were actually witnessing, they asked the question, what does this mean? Others who were perplexed by the events of that day and, and didn't bother to, to seek further understanding about what was going on, they resorted to mocking, accusing the disciples of having had too much to drink. Well, this morning, now I want us to invite all of us uh, to consider both of those responses. Because both of them have something incredibly important to teach us about the reality of Pentecost and about the effect that it ought to have on our lives. So we're going to begin this morning with the more noble of those reactions and ask the question, what does this mean? Then after we understand what Pentecost means, we're going to consider why did some of the observers mistake the Christians for having been drunk? And finally, we're going to consider what our possible responses to this Pentecost event can be. So first, what does this actually mean? There are actually three miraculous aspects to the Pentecost event that we read in this scripture from Acts 2. And so we're going to consider this question, what does it mean, in light of each of those three miraculous moments. And so if you have Bibles, um, either an old-fashioned Bible in your hand or a Bible on your phone, I invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, so that you can follow along with me in the Scriptures. Now this first miraculous event is found in verse 2, Acts chapter 2, verse 2, where as all of the disciples were gathered together in one place, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind which filled the entire house where the disciples were sitting. Now, I don't know if you've ever lived through a significant storm in your life before or not, uh, something like a hurricane or a tornado or, or something like that. But, but if you have, then you know the power of a mighty rushing wind. My parents uh, have a beach house down on Topsail Island, and last fall uh, there was a storm, Isaias, that was coming and was going to hit the North Carolina coast. And I was responsible to go down and, and close up the beach house and make sure everything was ready for the storm. Now, the, they were projecting this to be a, a really small storm, barely a Category 1 at all. And so I had the great decision to bring my family with me. And what we were going to do is we were going to close up the house, ride out the storm, and then enjoy a few days at the beach afterwards. It's the last time I will ever make that mistake again. For as the evening came and the storm began to approach, 
uh, the winds picked up and I could kind of immediately knew I had made a bad decision. Right before uh, night hit, the power went out on the island, and so we were, we were sitting in dark throughout the night. Uh, as the winds picked up, they were literally roaring across the island. This invisible force had a literal sound to it as it tore across this island. The house was literally swaying in the wind as the power of this storm was pushing against its walls. It led to a long and a sleepless night for me. As I lie in bed awake, waiting for the roof to be torn off my house and for the walls to cave in and for my family to perish in the midst of this storm, I was wondering what a fool I had been to bring my family into harm's way. Now, mercifully, there was no significant damage and we all escaped unscathed. But I decided that night that I'd never bring my family into the path of such a destructive power ever again. And that was a Category 1 storm. It was barely even a hurricane. But we've all seen images of the destruction that a real hurricane or that a a powerful tornado can produce, right? Literally destroying everything that is in its path. And this just reminded me all over again that there is power in the wind. And that is like what the disciples experienced on the day of Pentecost. Now, it's important to note that it is only like what they experienced. Luke makes that very clear in the text. He doesn't say that it was a mighty rushing wind, but that it was a sound like that. And that is significant for two reasons. The first is because an actual mighty rushing wind would have been destructive, right? But this presence didn't come to destroy them, but to empower them. It didn't come to harm, but it came to help. And the second reason that it's significant that Luke notes that it was like a mighty rushing wind instead of that it was an actual rushing wind is because it was actually a power that was greater than a mighty rushing wind, right? This was actually an otherworldly power. Uh, And a mighty rushing wind, which was the most powerful force that that would have been known in the world at that time, is is the closest thing they could compare it to, but it really doesn't compare at all. It was actually a power even greater than what they could have known or imagined. And we know this is true because this power had actually overcome and stopped a mighty rushing wind when Jesus calmed the storms while he was out on the Sea of Galilee In the gospel accounts, his power is even greater than the most powerful forces our world has ever known. And so when we read that a sound like a mighty rushing wind filled the house where they were sitting, what that means is that the power of God had come among them. An otherworldly force of a greater power than they had ever known descended upon them, not to destroy them, but to deliver them, not to harm them, but to help. And this is exactly what Jesus had promised was going to happen. Just 10 days earlier, before he had ascended into heaven, Jesus had told the disciples that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. 
Several weeks prior to that, before he had been crucified, Jesus had promised the disciples that it was good for them that he was going away. Uh, Because when he was going away, he would send the helper. And that with the, the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives, that they would be able to do even greater things than Jesus had done when he was among them. Now I want you to think about that for just a moment. Jesus, when he was among the people, he had restored sight to the blind. He had brought hearing to those who were deaf. He had caused those who were lame to be able to walk again. He, he had raised the dead to life. And now he's telling his disciples that they will do even greater things than that. How is that possible? What's well, only possible If the very power of God that was present in Jesus comes to be present among us also. And according to the Apostle Paul, that is exactly what happened. In Romans chapter 8, Paul says that the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. And that that same Holy Spirit now lives in you. In the lives of the Apostles, we see this power exhibited. As they healed the sick and even raised the dead in Jesus' name. And it still happens today. The Spirit of God is still at work through Jesus' disciples to help people see what they previously could not see. To allow people to hear truths that they previously could not hear or comprehend. To bring healing and health physically and emotionally and spiritually to people who previously could not find health. Even to bring new life to those who were previously dead in their sins and transgressions. All of this is only possible because a sound like a mighty rushing wind came at Pentecost. And what it means is that the power of God has come to earth. That's the first miracle of Pentecost. That we received a power from God. But, but that power was not an impersonal power. And that brings us to the second miracle of Pentecost. What we read in verse 3 of this passage is that after the sound like a mighty rushing wind was heard, that then divided tongues as of fire appeared and rested upon each of them. So what does that mean? Well, throughout the Old Testament... Whenever the presence of God showed up in in a special or or, or significant way, he almost always showed up in the form of fire. In Genesis chapter 15, when God made his covenant promise to Abraham and and promised great things to Abraham, he, he, he showed up and he sealed that covenant when he appeared as a blazing torch. In Exodus chapter 3, when God appeared to Moses for the first time and called Moses to lead God's people out of their slavery in Egypt, he appeared as a burning bush. When God gave the law to the people of Israel upon Mount Sinai and taught them how to live according to his ways, he appeared to them in a cloud of fire and smoke. When he led his people uh, throughout their wilderness years, he led them as a pillar of fire. When the priest Ezekiel was given a vision of God that he was to communicate to the people, what he saw was fire everywhere. Over and over and over again, when when God's presence comes among his people in a special way and for a significant purpose, he comes in the likeness 
of fire. That's what's happening here at Pentecost. These, these tongues of fire were a visual indication that the presence of God had come among his people in a special and significant way. And so it wasn't just the power of God that came at Pentecost, but it was his very presence. It was God himself by his spirit. And part of what's so significant about this event is that in the Old Testament, God often showed up in this special way just to the leaders of his people. He would show up just to the patriarchs like Abraham or just to the prophets like Moses or just to the priests like Ezekiel. But here at at Pentecost, the tongues of fire came upon every one of Jesus' disciples. It was not just the apostles, but it was all of the disciples in the room, men and women, clergy and laity. Those who had followed Jesus from the very beginning and those who had just recently begun following Jesus. Rich and poor, every one of God's people received this gift of his presence. This is how God fulfills his promise to never leave us and to never forsake us. This is how Jesus fulfills his promise to always be with us, even to the very end of the age. This is how when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we need not fear any evil. Because God is with us at every moment of our lives by His Spirit. You know, we often marvel at the incarnation. When God became flesh and dwelt among us in the person of Jesus. But this is, this is almost even more amazing than that. It's not incarnation It's indwelling. For God has come not just to live among us as a single man, but to live within us in every single man and woman and child who will receive him. That is what this second miracle of Pentecost means. That God has not just sent his power, but he has come in his very presence. Not just to dwell among us, but to reside within us. And the final miracle of Pentecost is found in verse 4, where the disciples began speaking in tongues. And what we learn later in the story is that, uh, what this means is that they were declaring the mighty works of God in other languages which they previously had not been able to speak. And this is significant because Pentecost occurred during an annual festival where Jews who had been scattered uh, across the globe would have returned to Jerusalem in order to celebrate. And as a result, the nations were gathered together to witness this event. And when the the uh, the disciples began declaring the good news of Jesus in the languages of the world, what it signified was that God's presence and power hadn't come just for the Jewish people, but for all people of the world who would believe. For the good news of God was being made known in every language, to every person of every culture. This gift was not limited to a a particular people, but was for all people. It was for every tribe and tongue. It was for you, and it was for me. And when we begin to put all of these miraculous events together, uh, when we begin to pull together the whole story of Pentecost, and we consider the question, what does all of this mean? 
What we see is that Pentecost means that the power of God and the presence of God has come among the people of God. That the power of God and the presence of God has come to anyone and to everyone who would hear this good news and receive it. That is what Pentecost means. And this has profound implications for our lives. It has profound implications for our ability to to change and to grow as human beings and to become the people that we want to become, the people that we know we were created to become. For if you have the Spirit of God within you, that means that you have a resource more powerful than your own willpower. You have a resource more powerful than your own affections and desires. You have a resource more powerful than your own strength. With the Spirit of God, you have a power within you to heal what is sick within your heart, to bind up what is broken in your life, to change what you are unable to change in your actions and your attitudes and your behaviors, that you have a power to save you from the evil of this world and from the evil of your own heart. That power cannot be found within our own human resources. We need a power from outside to come into us. And the Spirit of God does that. This has profound implications for our sense of significance uh, in this world. If you have the Spirit of God in you, that means that the the, the very God of the universe, who created the heavens and earth and, and everything in them, He lives and dwells within you by His Spirit. That means your body becomes His temple. That your life becomes His vessel for ministry to the world and and for the blessing of others. When the greatest being in the universe chooses to make His home in you, your life has an infinite value and significance to it. This also has profound implications for our sense of belonging. For if you have the Spirit of God, that means that you belong to the people of God. You are part of the family of God. You are part of something far bigger and far greater than yourself. You are part of a movement and a family that has roots that go back thousands of years and that reach all the way around the globe and that has a future which stretches endlessly into eternity. Pentecost has profound implications for so many areas of our lives. And when we understand that, even more, when we experience it, It brings a joy and a peace and a freedom into our lives that is intoxicating. In fact, it's a little bit like being drunk. That's why some of those who didn't understand what was happening on Pentecost mistook the disciples for having been filled with too much wine. Because, think about it. But what are people like when they've had a bit too much to drink? They're often uh, have very low inhibitions. They're often happy, a little bit giddy, kind of joyful. They usually feel freedom to do things that they otherwise might not do with, with a boldness and a confidence that they otherwise might not have. Just ask my wife about this. If, if we go to a wedding and there's dancing going on and, and I've not had anything to drink, I'm usually keeping it right here. Just like Will Smith taught me to do in Hitch, right? Keep it right here. You don't go out of this space, right? But once I have a drink or two, 
You know, start to loosen up a little bit. And if I'm not careful, I'm full-blown doing the Carlton with no inhibitions, with no, nothing holding me back, with the boldness and the confidence that I did not have before. And isn't that exactly what these disciples were doing? The crowds were witnessing these disciples boldly and fearlessly proclaiming the message that Jesus had died and that he had risen and that he had been exalted to the right hand of God and that by his life, death and resurrection, God had made Jesus both Savior and Lord. This was a message that could have gotten them killed. And yet they were proclaiming it without inhibition and with a joy and with a peace and with a freedom that the observers had only ever experienced people have with the help of drink or drug. It's like they were drunk. But it's also not like they were drunk. Because while someone is under the influence of alcohol, those feelings are temporary and they usually lead to sickness and regret. When you are drinking, you behave that way because your senses are depressed and because your thoughts are not based in reality. Your boldness comes out of a place of foolishness. But when you are filled with the Spirit of God, that boldness and that courage and that confidence and that joy and that peace, they abide. They don't come and go. They remain with you forever. And when you're filled with the Spirit, your behavior isn't emboldened by a diminished reality, but instead it is strengthened by a heightened reality, by a more true reality, where your joy comes from knowing the reality that you are loved and cherished by your Father in heaven, where your, your sense of peace comes from knowing that you have been forgiven and accepted by the God of the universe, where your boldness and your confidence comes from understanding the reality that your future and your salvation are secure no matter what anyone else thinks or says or does. So it's like being drunk, but it's not like being drunk. Paul says we're not to be filled with too much wine, but we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that leads me to a couple of points of application that I want to end with this morning. How do we apply this message to our life? I want to suggest three possible options. And the first is that if, if you are hearing this message this morning what, for what feels like the first time, if, if this truth is, is, is hitting home for the first time and you're intrigued by what this all means and what you're hearing, I want to encourage you to continue to ask the question, what does this mean? Keep seeking to understand and to know what this is really all about. Pentecost in particular, but, but, but the, the, the Christianity, the message of Christianity in general. Who is Jesus? What is the big deal about his life and death and resurrection? What is it really all about? What does it really all mean? Keep asking that question. God tells us in his word to taste and to see that he is good. To come and to experience Him in order to understand that His ways are right and true and good and that they always lead to life. It's an invitation to experience Him more. And He promises that when we seek Him, we will find Him. So keep seeking Him. Second, if you are hearing this news today and the Spirit of God is moving in power in your heart right now, if you're convicted about the truth of this message and you're believing it, but you know that you've never really accepted Jesus, you've never really received the gift of the Holy Spirit, then know that you're in good company. 
Because there were 3,000 people on that first day of Pentecost who experienced this encounter with the Spirit of God and believed in the good news about Jesus being Savior and Lord and responded to that experience by asking the disciples, what must we do to be saved? In response, they were told to repent and be baptized. In the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. But this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. And so if you're believing this message for the first time, then I want to encourage you to respond in kind. Believing in Jesus, we're called to repent of our wrongdoing, to surrender our lives to God through baptism in Jesus' name. And when you do that, you will receive the Holy Spirit and new life, and it will be the day of Pentecost for you. So if you have questions about that or or want any more information about that, I would love to talk with you further about it. Let me know. Finally, if you're already a believer in Jesus, if you've already repented of your sin and been baptized in Jesus' name and received this gift of the Holy Spirit, then my application for you this morning and for every morning of your life is to walk in step with God's Spirit. We heard it in our reading this morning out of Galatians. That there is a way of the flesh and there is a way of the Spirit. And the ways of the flesh will always lead to death and the ways of the Spirit will always lead to life. And so choose life. Today and every day, choose life in order that you might live. Walk in step with the Spirit of God and ask Him to grow in you love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control day by day by day. That we might be transformed from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Spirit. Church, at Pentecost we remember that the power of God and the presence of God have come to the people of God. To bring them a freedom and a joy and a power that they had never known before. So let us receive this Spirit. Let us rejoice in the Spirit in order that we might be reformed by the Spirit. For God's glory and for our good. Amen.